Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you. It feels like I've been gone for a while, but I was actually here last Sunday. Um, I've been at middle school summer camp for the last six days, so right after last Sunday's service up until yesterday afternoon. Um, and so after preaching for the last six days to 10 to 13-year-olds, you have never looked older to me. If that's a compliment, take it. If it's an insult, Jake Milby is an elder. He's right there. He loves complaints, and so just send that his way. It is good to be here, good to be back, good to have our kids in the service with us this morning. Um, I was at this camp, and the last day of camp on Friday night, there was a talent show. And after being around certain kids for a handful of days, when they sign up for a talent show, your expectations can be high or low, if you understand what I mean there. And they had about 30 contestants signed up for this talent show, and about five or ten kids in acts in. Um, I was looking at some of the counselors there and some of the staff members going like, wow, these kids are like talented. Who would have known from the last week? But these kids are very, very talented. And it reminded me actually of um, about 10 years ago, the summer of 20, uh, 2007, I was working full-time at a summer camp as a counselor um, called Sky Ranch. Uh, and I met this kid with this amazing, special slash strange talent that I'll never forget. And he was coming to mind all week during camp there at the talent show. His name was Thor. So right off the bat, okay, you know he's got some good skills or his parents are really bad at naming kids because you're setting the bar very high for your kid if his name is Thor. Thor is from the country. He's about 10 years old. I had 10-year-olds that summer. Um, He was from the country. He looked like he was from the country, if you know what I mean. Like he looked like he works with his hands out on the farm every day. He's buff. I look like I read, okay? I do. (laughs) Don't judge me. That's actually my job. He looked like a kid that was already stronger than me. And one day we were waiting somewhere, I forget what we were doing, and uh, a co-counselor kind of elbowed me and said, look, look over at Thor. And I looked over, and Thor was doing the most amazing thing that I've ever seen a child do. And we were watching him, and he's doing this, mind you, kind of mindlessly, like the way that I would chew on my fingernails, like just this past time, not thinking about it. He's standing over there. And if a bee flies by, or a lot of the bees at the camp, he would grab it out of the air with his hand, which, again, first, impressive, right? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of things going on there. I can't unpack all of it for us, but courage, okay? At my house, I scream and call my wife to deal with the bees. And then, like, just precision and accuracy, he grabs the bee in his hand, and he would take it and, like, slam it against his palm or against the wall or against the floor to disorient it, like to kind of shock it out of its system. And then he'd put it in his fingers and he would put it up to his mouth and with his teeth, he'd pull out the stinger, spit it to the side and then flick the rest of the bee to the other side. And soon enough, there's like 30 adults and we're all standing like 50 yards away, just with their jaws dropped, (laughs) just watching this kid stand there like over and over and over again. And it was just amazing. I still can't see a kid without being like, you're not as cool as Thor. Um, keep, keep working on this. Uh, the text we'll read this morning in the scriptures is one of the texts where we see Jesus getting to kind of express his special skills. So the way Thor was known for grabbing these bees, Jesus was known, he was kind of legendary in his age for being this 
this um, powerful worker, this worker of power, this, this miracle worker, this guy who went around and healed people of diseases, cast out demons. Um, he was kind of a legend in the different villages that were around where he was ministering. And so in this morning's text, we see Jesus not only heal somebody, but do it in a strange way, do it in an unusual way. It's one of my favorite stories in scriptures, um, in the scriptures, and one of my favorite um, healing stories. So if you have your, your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8 is where we will be this morning. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at a, a story of Jesus, similar to the one we read with our scripture reading earlier this morning in John chapter 9. I think as we read, you will see the similarities between the two stories. And it is for me, I think, one of the stranger healing stories that we have in the Gospels, um, and just a very interesting and powerful um, text. So we'll read together Mark 8, verse 22 through 25. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said to him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, the the healing here is unique for a couple of reasons. The, The first is that this is the only time recorded in the Gospels we have that Jesus heals in a two-stage process, that the healing is not kind of right there in the moment. Um, Jesus um, heals, he opens his eyes up, he's not quite to where he's supposed to be, and so Jesus lays hands on him and heals him again. That in and of itself makes it a very interesting healing story compared to the other ones that we have received. The other more unusual thing about this story is how Jesus heals this man. Um, the means or method of healing. Jesus spits on his eyes. Now, there's a little kid inside of me that goes, this is awesome. This is my favorite kind of healing ever. Um, This is actually not the only time Jesus uses um, his spit to heal. There's three times that we have in the Gospels. So we know this is not an impromptu thing for Jesus. This is not something that he was there and just like, I'm bored. This will be fun. And he spits. This is something he's done a handful of times. Um, In John 9, we read that story for our our reading earlier in the service. Um, There's a man born blind. We don't think this guy was born blind, um, particularly because he knows what trees look like, and he's imagined what trees walking would look like. Um, But in John 9, this, this guy was born blind, and Jesus heals him by spitting on the ground, and he makes some mud like a old fashioned ancient face mask. He puts it on the guy's eyes, and the guy can see. He's healed. Um, The third uh, spit healing story um, is found actually in the chapter before this in Mark, in Mark chapter 7. There's a man who's deaf and mute. Uh, So we think he probably just can't talk very well. Um, Because he's deaf, he has some hearing problems. And there Jesus um, first opens up his ears by putting uh, his fingers in his ears, which is itself kind of a a funny little silly way to, to heal. Um, and then he spits on his hand and touches the guy's tongue. So you can make up your mind which one is weirder. Um, but these are our three spit healing miracle stories that we have. Um, very interesting to me. I want you to imagine that you are this man here in Mark 8, really any of these, these people being healed. Um, so you are blind. You haven't been born blind. So you know what it's like to see. 
Um, it's not like you don't really know what you're missing out on, right? You've been there, you've experienced the world, and now you are fully aware of what's been taken from you. And there's probably been days and nights, perhaps weeks, perhaps months, where you have mourned or raged against what you are missing out on, on what ails you, the disability that you now um, have. And then you have some friends come to you, and they say, let's go on a journey. We've heard that Jesus is going to be in this town. We're going to try to meet him there. I would imagine that if I was that man, I would start to develop some hope. There'd be this small but real spark inside of me that started to imagine what it might be like if I was one of these lucky people that Jesus healed. Now you have to remember, it's one thing to be able to go to a place where Jesus is. Um, It's another thing entirely to interact one-on-one with Jesus. Um, We know that there are huge crowds around Jesus when he's performing these miracles, and he's not able to get to everybody. Um, And it doesn't bother him. His his purpose did not seem to be like a one-man ambulance. Um, Like, he didn't sit there all day and just heal as many people as needed healing in a 50-mile radius. Um, And so you're kind of hitting the lottery by getting this one-on-one interaction with Jesus right? I mean, there's a big crowd. They all are there to be healed or to have a friend be healed. And you are kind of hoping that you are going to somehow be called to the front, interact with Jesus. So you're probably though putting a cap on your expectations. You've heard about Jesus. Your friends surely have heard about Jesus. There has to be some expectation there. You wouldn't go at all, but you're probably not trying to get too excited. Like there's still a long shot. You get to the town all of a sudden, through whatever means, whatever happens in that situation exactly, you're in front of Jesus. Jesus has put his attention on you. And he takes you by the hand and he walks you out of the village to this, this private area. At this point, if I'm the man, the cat probably goes away. And I'm excited. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. And I'm like, this is it. Something miraculous is about to happen. I'm about to be one of these stories that everyone's been hearing about. This guy from Nazareth who's going around healing people, transforming their lives. And Jesus is, is gently leading you out of this, this town, right, this village. So he's making sure you don't trip, right? There's this personal care there. It's got to be this extraordinary moment. And you don't know what's happening, right? You're blind. So you're just kind of standing there. You get to a point where Jesus stops you. And you're like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Maybe at any moment, I'll start to see. And all of a sudden, you hear, and then you're spit on, just right in your face, just all over your eyes. And again, at that moment, I wonder what you're thinking. I have to imagine you're like, I hope it's raining, and I, I misheard something. Did this guy just spit on me? Uh, did I do something to offend him, right? Is this like a practical joke that my friends are playing on me? I knew I shouldn't have trusted those guys. I need better friends. And he says, open your eyes up. What do you see? And you open your eyes up and all of a sudden, a world of sight is available to you that hadn't been available for some time, but it's not quite there yet. It's still blurry. You can't quite make out what's in front of you. And very interestingly, Jesus goes, tell me, what's, what, what are you experiencing? 
And we'll come back to this because I think this is a beautiful part of the story. The man is honest with Jesus about how healed he is. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to try not to be honest with how far along we are in the process of being transformed by God. We don't like to admit that it's still blurry. Just looks like trees walking around. We'd rather say, no, everything's fine. We're good. We were blind. Now we can see. But he goes, this is what's going on. I don't think you did the best job you've ever done here, Jesus. If I'm being frank, this is not exactly the end product I was looking for. You know, people wonder about this two-stage kind of miracle. And the first thing, obviously, that might come to our mind is maybe Jesus is like a little tired that day, right? He's out of practice, perhaps. Like he doesn't quite, like the sonic, uh, get all this miraculous energy quite together at first. Um, and so he has to go back and lays his hands on his eyes. And then, boom, he can finally see. These, these spit healing miracles operate under a principle I like to call it's only weird if it doesn't work. Does this make sense? Um, like I, I'm thinking all three of these stories, the people are okay with the spit on them because they can hear or see, they can talk. Um, I'm guessing if it hadn't worked out, they might leave with a different opinion of Jesus, what's going on. I don't know if you uh, are an athlete or ever been an athlete or a sports fan or something like that, and you have this superstition, right? Like if your team's in the playoffs, you don't change your clothes or your underwear or something weird like that. Don't talk about it in public. And as long as your team's winning, right, it's not that weird. Like who's to say? Whatever. Do your thing. They're still winning. But as soon as they lose, everything gets a little more awkward, right? Like now you're just silly. Like you just need to go take a shower and get out of our sight. It's only weird if it doesn't work. I was, um, we were talking about this story. I was talking about it with a uh, staff member at the camp this week. He had glasses on, so he um, had some eyesight problems. And he was kind of laughing about it. And I was like, hey, let's do it right now. I can heal you. Take your glasses off. I'm going to spit on your eyes. We're going to do this. We're going to live out this story. And he refused. He refused to let me spit on him. And I was like, this is the problem with the church. This is the problem with Christians Particularly, how many people could I have healed so far if only folks would let me spit on them more? You know how many times I've asked to spit on someone and been told no? More times than I should have asked, probably. And no one will ever know what could have happened. Maybe this was Jesus' way of me supposed to be healing people in my life, and then it just has never worked out because people aren't serious about this. Um, Jesus, though, heals this guy with his spit, um, and the, the question of why Jesus uses spit, I think, gets us into some of the more interesting aspects of this story, um, what this, this text might teach us and have to say to us this morning. Um, in the ancient world, there was a belief that spit, saliva, had healing properties to it. Um, this is before modern medicine, right? And so there's no penicillin back then. And so um, saliva was a commonly used um, thing to, to try to heal a wound, you know, um, uh, we have throughout history, I've had scientists look into this. Does it really work? Um, in fact, I'm imagining that some of you in this room have once cut your finger or burnt it or something like that and put it in your mouth. You probably weren't thinking, I know it will help saliva. It's just kind of instinct to you, right? Well, this was still a gut instinct to these people in the ancient world. Um, what we've discovered is your saliva has some good things about it. Okay, it's, it can help your teeth, right? There are all kinds of good properties for it being inside of you and in your mouth. Um, but it's not as good as like Neosporin, okay, for your wound. It's not doing that much for you. Surprisingly, it actually works pretty well for dogs. 
So if you, you've probably seen a dog do this or heard the term like licking their wounds, right? It's a lot more healing for a dog who has this wound. Um, uh, so, so people have wondered, perhaps Jesus is kind of interacting with that ancient belief or cueing people to understand, like, I'm about to heal you. This is what I'm doing um, with, with my saliva here. Others have perhaps wondered if Jesus is just simply trying to communicate, I can heal you in any way I want to. I can be silly about it. I can be fun about it. I can be serious about it. I can do a dance. I can do the Macarena. Whatever I choose to do doesn't matter. Any mean, any method, any way, the power of the Father, the Spirit's anointing working in and through me can bring healing and transformation to your life. Jesus heals people in a lot of different ways throughout the Gospels. Sometimes he'll pray. Sometimes he'll just speak a healing into existence, much like God spoke creation into existence. Sometimes Jesus lays his hands on a person. On at least one occasion, Jesus heals long distance. There's a kid in another city that Jesus heals. He's like, just go back to your city. When you get back, you'll find out your kid's all right. I've healed him. Jesus spits here. Some have perhaps suggested Jesus spits to illustrate not just that Jesus can heal in surprising ways, ordinary ways, but also in ways that you never would have expected. Um, So psychologists will use spit sometimes as an object lesson for a psychology of disgust. Uh, Human beings are born with kind of purity laws inside of their head, right? What's clean, what's unclean. Evolutionarily, it's helpful for our survival if we can stay away from things that are dirty and nasty and aren't good for us. And so psychologists have done this test over and over again. We could do it this morning. Um, We just don't have the time. And I don't think you'd be game. Um, you give everyone a little cup, right? And you say, spit in the cup. Everyone spits in the cup. And you say, put it back in your mouth. And what we've found is most people don't want to put it back in their mouth. Even though logically they know it was just in your mouth. No one's touched it. No one's done anything to it. It wasn't bothering you, hopefully, before. I mean, imagine if you always were disgusted with your own spit and just like 24-7, you're like, oh my gosh, it's all over inside of my mouth. I can't get it out. It seems to be, again, this object lesson for humanity's tendency to build up a wall between what is on our team or inside of us versus what's outside of us. So as long as the spit is on the inside, it's part of us, we're fine with it, right? As soon as we can see it and we acknowledge it's not a part of us anymore, it's separate, it's on the outside, then all of a sudden we're disgusted. This disgust instinct kicks in. We do this with social groups all the time. This is why psychologists often use this as an example, right? When someone's in your group, you can look over a whole lot of things they do wrong or weird. But the moment they're kicked out or the moment you see something and that person's not in your group, how easy it is for us to be disgusted and grossed out. So I'm not going to touch that person, go near them with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, they're not on our team anymore. They're not inside the club. They're, they're on the outside now. So perhaps Jesus is using a spit as a way of saying, look, even things that you would never think about being able to be used by me, I can use. Here's what we know. This story illustrates a much larger principle running throughout the Gospels and the entire New Testament about Jesus' purpose in the world. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil 
John tells us in 1 John. Jesus has come to enact God's will in getting rid of all that is wrong with his creation, to transform and redeem. This is why you see Jesus casting out demons, forgiving sins, healing people of all kinds of ailments and disabilities. Because this is what God has desired. Jesus is enacting it. If you wanted to sum it down in, in more of a crude way, we could say, Jesus was sent here by God to spit on us. I mean, this was his purpose. What he does to this man more largely is his role in the world. To heal people, to heal me, to heal you, to more largely heal the entire creation. We, we can look at this two-stage process and we can wonder why it works in this way. Um, we get a couple clues by looking at the broader context of Mark. Um, if we had more time and could read all of this, we would do this together. If you can remember, a couple years back, we went through a sermon series through the book of Mark. And then we noticed that Mark likes to tell stories in a certain way. He likes to build sandwiches. We call them Markin sandwiches. So he'll tell a story. He'll put another unrelated story in the middle. And then he'll either finish that first story or tell another story just like it. And it's like the bread to smush that, that meat together. And he does so so that you start to compare the two stories and see like what, what's going on here. Um, in Mark 7, you get this first deaf-mute guy who's healed by Jesus' spit. Then in between these two perception miracles, right? I can't hear, talk. This guy can't see. In between these two perception miracles is the meat. Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And when he feeds these 4,000 people, something glitches with the disciples. They don't have faith that he can do it. They don't perceive Jesus correctly. And so Jesus goes, hey, we need to feed these people. And they go, yeah, we don't have enough food. They need to take care of themselves. And Jesus goes, really? Right? I mean, you've been, you've been walking around me. You still don't see me for who I am? You, you still don't really understand what's, what's happening here? Jesus feeds them, of course. We're probably most of us familiar with that story. And then right afterwards, they're on a boat, and the disciples start complaining they didn't bring enough bread along for themselves on the boat. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? And Jesus goes, are you really complaining that we don't have enough bread for ourselves now? Literally, we just got on the boat from the shore where I fed 4,000 people with just a handful of pieces of bread. Right after this blind man is healed, Peter then confesses to Jesus his identity. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter goes, you are the Christ. So the disciples get it. Slowly but surely, just like the blind guy. It's a process for them coming to understand who Jesus is. Coming to understand what Jesus can do in their lives and in the world. It's a process for you and I as well. When we come to know Christ, when we come to have our lives transformed by him and the, the various ways that that takes place in all of our unique individual lives. It's a process. We'd like it to be clean and easy, right? At least I would. I'd like to say, this was a problem yesterday, but I prayed, and now it's not a problem anymore. Most of our stories, though, I think if we were being honest, are, this was a problem yesterday, and it's still a pretty big problem today. I prayed, it's still a problem today. This was a problem two years ago, it's maybe a little bit better now, but it's still there. I'm still in this process, right? And the beauty of this blind guy is that he was able to be honest about that process, 
I think you and I might find God's presence much stronger and, and more transformative in our lives if we were able to be honest about where we were in that process. Instead of pretending to see everything, we could say, right now I'm just seeing trees. It's not quite clear to me yet. And that's okay. That's the beauty of it, right? It's okay. Just like the disciples went through that process in learning who Jesus was and seeing him clearly. It's okay that you right now don't see him clearly. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you the way he loves other people. It just means everything's going like it goes for most people. You're okay. Keep leaning in. Keep following. So this man is healed. I can uh, remember when I was a kid, I, I, I have contacts in right now, and I can remember for the longest time, we didn't know I had a sight problem. And I remember the first day, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, that I got glasses and a drive home. Um, I don't know if you've, you've been there. It was overwhelming. I couldn't wear the glasses the whole way home. I mean, I, I'd never up until that point knew colors were that bright or that like shapes had these sharp lines to them, right? Turns out I was a little bit better of an athlete when I could see. Who would have thought? Once I knew where the basketball goal was, it went in a little bit more. Not a lot, but just a little bit, a little bit more. This is the process this, this guy is going through as he is transformed. Ultimately, the healing process Jesus begins and is committed to seeing through in our lives is long-term. It's much longer than anything in this life that we're living right now that might be healed. So we can say it like this. This guy's eyes are healed, his sight's restored, but a day is going to come not too long from then when he can't see anymore. When he dies. The deaf mute man could hear again, could speak again. But a day would be coming again in his life where his hearing would go and he'd be unable to speak. Um, Lazarus, raised from the dead, healed, resurrected. But yet, a day would be coming when he was no longer alive again. The ultimate healing, the ultimate transformation Jesus has come to perform happens for us all equally on the same level at the resurrection. When we're ushered into eternal life, when we're completely transformed, and, and now sin and death can't touch us anymore. There's no longer any more corruption, any more deterioration. We're all enjoying new life as a whole, completed, perfected creation. Jesus has come to spit on us. He's come to heal and save us. I am imagining that many of us in this room have a relationship in our lives that needs some healing. We might have a physical ailment that we're praying for healing for or know somebody who we're, we're praying for. There might be this behavior in our lives that we're trying to get over, we're trying to move past, and yet we, we still need some healing, some transformation. Jesus has come just for this purpose. And this morning, you, like the blind man, should, as you read and respond to this text, have your expectations and your hope slowly and surely lifted up until you're assured and confident that not only can 
Jesus heal you. Not only does he desire to heal you, but he's committed to doing it. And even if it doesn't happen the exact way you think it's going to happen right now, through the cross and resurrection, it will one day happen totally and completely for all of us. We might then think about another theme we see throughout the, the scriptures in the New Testament, which is the fact that Jesus now calls you and I to go out and represent him in the world, to go out and participate in the mission that he began in the first century. Again, if we boiled it down real simply, we might say you and I now are called to be the spit of God, to be Jesus' spit, to be these unordinary people, right? Saliva, it's this unordinary, non-healing thing that still yet Jesus chooses to use to accomplish his will in people's lives. In fact, maybe we're not ordinary. Maybe we're kind of disgusting. And no one would ever expect us to be that which God uses to bring healing. And we might then be even more confident that God indeed wants to use you as a conduit of his power, of his grace, to encourage, to pray, to bring life and hope and healing. As a friend, often in the Gospels, people's friends gather around someone who needs Jesus' healing, and they bring them to Jesus. Which is, I think, a beautiful metaphor for what you and I are called to do to the people in our lives that we know who need such healing and transformation. I'd imagine, again, that this morning you can think of more than a handful of people in your life or situations in your life where perhaps you feel prompted, feel led to go and participate in God's work there. You see, being a conduit for God's healing power, for his life-giving work, it's not as difficult as it sounds. Because God is working in everyone's lives. Your job is not to bring God to somebody. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a much more tall task to actually start God's work in someone's life. That's not what you're doing. You're simply recognizing God is already working there. And I'll show up and do what I've been called to do. I'll, if it's praying, I'll pray. If it's encouraging, I'll encourage. If it's helping, I'll help. Whatever it is that, that, that I'm, I'm being called to do there this morning. This morning, we'll come to the table. And, and as we come to the table, we do so as a celebration of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of what he continues to do. You see these, these stories in the Gospels, they're not one-off events in history. The Jesus who healed this blind guy with his spit is alive and active today. He's just as alive and just as active as he was back then. This is what Christians affirm when we say he is risen. He's been resurrected. And he still desires to work in your life and still desires to work in the lives of others through you. And so this morning, I invite you to celebrate those truths. I invite you to reflect on the places in your life where you need God's healing, and then to reflect and to commit to the places in your life where you're called to participate in God's healing purposes.